the last 400, the crowds got even louder. I was like, wow, they were cheering for me. And all of a sudden I see these guys lined up and they don't have any shirts on and they each had a letter painted on their chest that spelled out Joni and say they were going nuts. And all of a sudden Joan Benoit comes barreling out of me. And I was like, oh, I need to stay, I need to try to stay with Joni. But I was just, I was so tired, I was just dead. But that in itself, I was like, oh my gosh, Joan Benoit is right here. And it was just, it was surreal. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 98 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Meet Claudia Bacay Johnston, radiation oncology nurse by day and one of a handful of women to qualify and complete three Olympic trials marathons. Claudia also qualified and repped the USA in the 2016 50K World Championships. It takes a serious commitment to your craft to compete at this level, many times having to run at 4.30 a.m. before seeing patients. Whenever a workout didn't go as well as planned, the positive attitude and determination of her cancer patients would immediately help provide much-needed perspective. We took a deep dive into her favorite races, and she shared some wonderful and inspiring stories. A journey of learning self-belief from her key coaches, Tom McGlynn, Brad Hudson, and a fellow OTQ runner friend, Dana Kuhn-Steely, who encouraged her that she too could make that dream come true. The journey from imposter syndrome to I belong. The epic chase to nail a sub-240. Her husband, key teammates, athletes that inspire her, and therapists that have supported her on this amazing ride. Claudia suffered a triple femur break in June of 2021 and is working really hard to get back. Inspired by her amazing journey and looking forward to watch her stay in the fight and grind her way back. Let's dive on in. Hope you all enjoy the listen. the k johnston how are you welcome to run chats with ron runs nyc thank you for having me it's an honor to be a part of your show yeah so what's going on tell everybody where are you where are you living these days you're colorado right i am in boulder colorado oh yes yeah. i lived i've lived here since moved right after the 2016 olympic trials um we we're living in denver so we moved to denver in 2014 and then moved to boulder in 2016 Nice. Boulder is literally my favorite training place. And there's some pretty amazing training places to to hang your hat if you're a runner or an ultra runner or maybe even a triathlete. And Boulder is clearly at the top of the list. Well, Flagstaff is really gaining a lot of traction these last couple of years. But I think if I were going to pick one place to go hang, Boulder. So how how long have you been out in Boulder? Um, yeah. So since 2016 and then Denver. So Colorado since 2014. So about eight years. Great. And tell everybody where you grew up. What was family life like as a kid? Yeah. So I grew up in a Northwest suburb of Chicago. So in Palatine, Illinois. And I grew up, um, it was mostly my mom and I, my parents got divorced when I was very young and they were both married prior to 
meeting each other. And so my mom had two kids with her first husband and then my dad had four. So I'm sort of an only child slash baby of the family because my siblings are all older. Um, and my mom raised me and her two other kids. And then by the time I was born, they were in high school. So, um, yeah. So once they went to college, I was pretty much, it was just my mom and I. Ah, so at one point it was a big, big group, but then you're basically kind of more or less just the two of you more and in the end, right? Yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And that was Chicago, Palatine, you know, basic area. And what was it like? I mean, you guys close, were you tight? What was family situation like at home? Yeah. Um, since it was just my mom and I, I mean, she, I think by the time she had me, she was a little, you know, worn out. So she, um, wasn't too strict with me, but I was a pretty, I joke with one of my good friends here that were like square pegs or, you know, like I didn't really get in trouble and went to a private school growing up. And there was only about 20 kids in the class. So anything I wanted to do, she's like, yeah, go for it. You know, like any sport, I tried every sport and yeah, she was very supportive of that. And then my dad only lived 15 minutes away. So I got to see him, you know, every weekend. And then as I got older and then more active in, um, especially in high school, um, he would come to all my races and stuff. And so, yeah, so very supportive on both sides. Nice. Nice. And you did play a bunch of sports in your youth, right? I mean, you, you pretty much kind of tried everything. So, uh, what, yes. what, give us a little background because I love, uh, hearing the sports that, uh, kids were involved with and what they liked and what they didn't like and why. So, yes, yeah, so we had an opportunity to, um, so growing up, you know, there was all through the, um, rec center, um, you know, winter we would do, um, ice skating. And then my aunt and uncle lived on a golf course. So I would go cross country skiing with them growing up. And then, yeah. And then I tried swimming and then basketball, softball, and we didn't have running in grade school. And I did cheerleading and volleyball. And I, at one point I was like, I just want to be a cheerleader. <laughs> and then on, oh, I tried gymnastics and just didn't have the flexibility. And then basketball. I really thought I was gonna be a good basketball player, but I did not have the, you know, the hand, eye ball coordination as most runners <laughs> can relate. Um, and then seventh grade, we had to do like a mile time trial and I ran seven thirty, and I got second out of all the boys and girls in my class. And my gym teacher was like, you're a really good runner and you really know how to pace. And I didn't know what any of that meant. And then in eighth grade, um, when we were trying to figure out where I was going to go to high school, my mom wanted to send me to a private high school, but it was just like really expensive and it was like 20 minutes from us. And so it just logistically just didn't work. So I went to the public high school and crazy enough, I was a shy kid growing up. And I think running kind of brought out my personality and, you know, made it a huge impact on my life. Um, but going into high school, I was like, I'm going to be a three-sport athlete. So swimming, basketball, and track was my dream. <laughs> but <laughs> it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> I love it. So, But you had the dream, and you tried a bunch of different sports, which is fun. Um, how else are we going to figure out what we like and what we really don't like? And we also get exposed to different coaches and different teachers, and more importantly, different kids. Because it's not the same kids that you're ice skating with. Um, that maybe you're in the pool with and swimming with, or maybe doing basketball or hoops with. So you, you're tending to you know, 
expand your social network a little. You're meeting different kids. You're around different parents because um, the parents of kids are always involved, of course. And then you have different coaching styles. So, uh, yeah, and that's that's good for us. We need that. And uh, you kind of stumble into running, you know, more or less. And really not stumble into it because you didn't really have it. It wasn't available to you. So it was really, uh, you know, quite a ways through your school years before, you know, all the way into seventh grade. And uh, your coach tells you you're good at pacing and, uh, you know, but you wanted to stick and do the three sport thing. So talk us through a little bit with that because it didn't exactly go the way you planned, right? (laughs) No. So I joined the swim team my freshman year in high school and we had to sign like a contract. People are like in disbelief that I did this, but I remember and it said you have to commit to four years because they didn't want you just joining your freshman year and then quitting because they want to develop you as an athlete, a swimmer and all that. And my favorite story, I think I was doing the 200 yard freestyle and they were putting the, dipping the numbers down into the water. And I remember taking a breath and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the lead. I thought I was in the lead of this race. And all of a sudden I take another breath and I'm about to do my flip turn and I look and I see all these legs coming down and then they're putting the number in my in my lane. So I still had two lengths to go. So I wasn't in the lead. I was dead last. <laughs> so I just remember getting out of the water in the whole, all, everybody in the stands just like stood up and I was mortified. <laughs> I was just like, yep, got the last, um, But I just kept, I put my head down. I was determined. I'm like, you know what? I can only get better. And I was a decent breaststroker. Um, And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to work my way up to JV and then to varsity by the time I'm a senior. And then I joined the basketball team, but the basketball coach for tryouts, she pulled me aside and she's like, you know, you're the last choice, but I'm only picking you because you're a really hard worker. I was like, oh, thank you. So I don't know if that's a, like a compliment or like you just felt bad for me. Um, but I sat on the bench. I was not good. I mean, the ball would come flying at me and I'd like run away from it. <laughs> and then spring, I joined track and they would, we would try everything out. So like we tried long jump, high jump, just to see what event they should put us in. The coaches should put us in. And I walked in, I said, I wanted to be a hundred yard dash. I was like, that's my event. I think I can sprint. (laughs) So I did it. And I don't, I don't know, all of a sudden we got our assignments for our first indoor track meet. And I was in the two mile and I was like freaking out. And my coaches are like, no, just, just go do that. So indoor track in Illinois was like, and it was like 20 laps to a mile or so, or no, or it was something crazy like that. It was like a hundred yard or 150 meter track. Um, and I did the two mile and I just remember I ran behind my teammates and at some point I got bored and I took off and then I ended up winning and they're like, yep, you're a distance runner, you're moving groups. So, um, yes. And I became a distance runner in track. And then at the end of track season, they both of the coaches sat down with me and were like, you know what? We think you have a great future in running and you need to quit basketball and swimming. And I was mortified. I mean, I remember going home and I talked to my mom and I'm like, I, I'm not quitting. I can't quit swimming because I signed a contract and I think I love basketball. 
And I told the coaches, I just can't. And I didn't want to join cross country because I didn't like rough running on rough terrain. <laughs> so, so then the one high school coach called my mom and was like, you need to persuade her to quit because we think she has a, yeah, a career in running. And yes. And then my mom's like, I think you should do this. And I talked to my brother who was, you know, my sounding board. And he just, he's like, Claude, you're going to get used to cross country. You know, just once you start running on grass, you're, you're probably going to do really well. And then I was like, fine, I'll try it. And then I just, I fell in love with cross country. So yeah. So then I did cross country in the fall and then track in the spring for the last uh, three years of high school. That's great. So, so much fun stuff to unpack. So you think you're winning the swimming race and you're not, (laughs) you know, it's like, I'm in first, yay, I'm winning, hooray. And then all of a sudden you get out and you're like last, like, yep, these are the moments that shape us for sure. No question about it. And the crowd's giving you the cheers and just like, get me out of here. But I love the, I love the contract thing. I totally love it um, because they, you know, somebody there on the coaching side just wanted the kids to feel like they're a part of a commitment. And I also love that you felt that you needed to stick with it, you know, that you had signed the commitment. Um, but at the same time, at, at young ages like that, that's where a parent or, you know, a coach or maybe even a couple of coaches really have to step in and look out for your best interest. So, and they were, and, you know, the basketball coach kind of giving you the tough love and the honest love, but, but that's what we need more of anyway, man. There's just too much BS in the frigging world, man. You know what? Hey man, I picked you because you're a hard worker. I didn't pick you because you're going to play, you know, like, you know, so many kids are sitting there thinking, gee, am I going to get to play or am I ever going to get to pitch coach when I coach my son's travel baseball? Like, uh, no, you're not going to get to pitch. Um, absolutely not. That's not happening. Like I just never lied to kids and I never lied to their parents either. I just give them the straight story. I mean, you know, I love your kid. He works really hard. Here's what we need to keep working on for him so he can get better and he can get a chance to play more and, you know, this type of thing. So, you know, you got people that realized you had some running talent, you got bored, you took off in the race, you could have crashed and burned, but it went the other (laughs) way. So there it is. I mean, that's, there's the, there's the formation and connection of uh, the beginning of the running journey, if you will, you know, the two mile, which by the way, is hilarious for us to think is a long distance race now, you know, being marathoners and, and people who like marathons and even ultras, right. But yeah, two miles was insanely long at that age you know, that was crazy. And you're running on a super small track, you know, like you said, 150 yards, 150 meters or whatever, you get dizzy, you know, running all those laps. So you took off and, uh, what a, what a neat experience. So, so that's it. So that's, that's what pulled you in. And then last but not least, you didn't want to run in the grass or an uneven surface and you needed to lean on your brother for that. So that's, that's definitely a crack up where you, you know, and now you're living in Boulder, which is like trail city. So, you know, you, you definitely have, must have adapted by now for sure. Right. No, I avoid the trails at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, let's segue in, um, for everybody at home that doesn't know this, uh, Claudia's a three-time Olympic marathon trials qualifier in 08, in, in 2012 and 2016. So we're going to move to this next segment and talk about some of her key race highlights, PRs, and meaningful moments that have shaped you. So you can take it from any race, anywhere, and let's just break it down. Yes, yeah, so I ran, um, I ran in college at a D1 school, um, but I was also in nursing. And so college just, I just didn't run very well. I think anything, I was burnt out from high school because we had a very intense program. Like we went state every year and 
And then by the time I went to high school or college, I was pretty burnt out. And then with the nursing program, that was in a very intense program. And I, I think I could make it to one practice a week because we always had clinicals or chemistry, like during practice, you know, during practice time. So after college, I took a little bit of a break and just was like running for fun. And then I was, you know, doing my first nursing job. And then I decided to work at a running store and I'll never forget the manager. So I was working my full-time job Monday through Friday. And then I was working at a running store on Saturday and I'll never forget the manager came in before we opened the store. And he's like, Oh, I'm just so tired. I just ran 16 miles. I was like, 16 miles. That is, you know, crazy. I just thought, and I was so like, it's like, wow, that's it seems so far. And you know, and then I got to talking to him and he's like, Yeah, I'm doing a marathon. So, and then just being around all these runners and all these people that are getting ready for marathons, I kind of got the bug. So I did my first marathon in 2002. And it kind of brought me back to that first race in high school. Like I wanted to qualify for Boston. I think at that time I'd run a 340 and my goal was 335. And at mile 20, I got a little bored. I was like, God, this is candy. This is, I think it's, I'm going to pick it up. So I picked it up and I ran a 326. And so I quite qualified for Boston. I did Boston in 2003 and then, um, had this huge goal of breaking three hours, you know, that was the next goal. And then tried in New York. Of course I got to central park at, um, I had one mile left. And I think I remember looking at my watch and it said two fifty nine. I was like, well, not going to do a mile in a minute. So yeah. So I ran like a three Oh nine. And then in 2007, I met, um, she was kind of my idol back then. And she, I mean, she still is, she was a professional runner for Adidas and she had moved to Chicago, um, to be with her boyfriend at the time when she ended up marrying, cause he was doing a residency in Chicago. And we went for a few runs and I was chatting with her and she was gearing up for the Olympic, the 2008 Olympic trials and the marathon. And she's like, well, why don't you consider doing the marathon or doing the Olympic trials? And I was like, Dana, I, I haven't even broken three hours. And then she was like, well, what were your PRs in high school? And I told her, and she's like, oh, Claude, if we can just get you on a marathon specific training plan, I, you know, you definitely have the talent to do this. And so that summer of 2007, I just like kind of ran with her and just like hung on because I couldn't keep up with her, but I would just like do her workouts. And then, um, so one of the most amazing experiences was the Berlin marathon in 2007, where I was trying to qualify for the trial for the 2008 trials. And that was the first time I had, um, bottles. So I reached out to the elite athlete coordinator and he's like, sure. Yeah. If you want to come, I'll give you bottles. You'll be in the elite athlete tent. And I'll never forget this. I took the bus, you know, to our little area and I started the warm up and I am running right by Hallie Giebler-Sarasi and Craig Motram. And I start passing that. I'm like, why am I passing all these people in a warm-up? And so I was definitely exposed, you know, to the Kenyan shuffle and just how easy they warm up and just to be exposed, like to learn how to use bottles and then kind of feel like, God, am I really supposed to be here amongst like these amazing runners? And so that experience was 
I mean, none other, like I'm at the starting line and literally standing behind Hallie. Cause you know, I, cause it was based on your gun time. And so I wanted my toe to be right there at the starting. So, um, and then the race didn't go great, but I finally broke, you know, three hours. So I ran the 258. Um, but it was definitely a great learning experience. And, um, and then I finally hired my first, you know, post collegiate coach was Tom McGlynn, who's the founder of, um, run coach back in the, back then it was focus and fly and he's out in the Bay area and he's another three-time Olympic marathon trials qualifier. And we met after the 2007 trials. Um, we had a, we have a mutual friend, so he introduced us and Tom was like, yeah, give it, give it a shot. And he looked at my training plan and he's like, you know what? I don't know if you can qualify, but I do know that you left your race on the lakefront path of Chicago. He just thought I was like running way too much and too hard leading up to Berlin. So, yeah. So, um, when he gave me my training plan, I, I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. Cause his whole thing is based off of like Jack Daniels. Like you run at your current fitness level and he was having me do all these workouts. And I'm like, Tom, you know, I have to run like a six eighteen pace. And these are like six thirty paces. And he's like, Claudia, can you run a two forty six right now? And I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, so you're not, I'm not going to train you to run a two forty six. So you're going to run at your current level. And then each race, your paces changes. Like he uses an algorithm. So yeah. And then I went out um, to California a few times to get away from the harsh Chicago winters. And I'll never forget doing a 10 by a mile workout because um, he had his group train at Stanford. So I did a 10 by a mile workout there. And yeah, he pulled me aside and he goes, from what I just saw, he's like, there's no doubt in my mind you can qualify. So um, and that like really sealed. I believed in him. I believed in his training. And it was kind of crazy because I did a half marathon. And then once I put that time into the program that he uses, then my pace has changed. And I was like, oh boy, now my mile repeats are going to be a lot faster because I ran this race faster. And then based on that, it predicted that I could have run like a 245 or whatever. And then, um, yeah. And then the other biggest highlight was that day in Napa and March 3rd in 2008. that was the final day to qualify. And I do really well under pressure. Um, I mean, there were races in high school where if I didn't get first, second or third, we were going to lose the meet. So like, I think I run very well having a lot of pressure. So I, a couple of my good training friends from Chicago flew out to help pace. And then we also had another one of Tom's athletes who had already qualified, she was like our lead pacer. So Tom was like, you know what, this is just another fun Sunday morning in wine country and do not do any work, just sit behind them. And it was a pretty rolling course. So I was nervous coming from Pancake Flat, Chicago, but considering I had gone out to California a few times to train, like I got used to the course, like I ran the course before. So yeah. And then I had another moment at mile 20. I looked at Tom and I, something our eyes blocked and he kind of gave me this look. He's like, you're 90 seconds ahead. And then all of a sudden I took off and I was leading the race for a little bit. And then the second place woman caught me 
And then at mile 24, I was like, oh my gosh, if I blow up and don't qualify. So I, I, so I ended up getting second, but I, I ran, um, a 244.58. So I far exceeded my goal. And yeah. And just that day, Tom tells me to this day, it was one of his proudest moments as a coach because myself and then my, his other athlete shall, she qualified as well. So yeah. And then I love making vision boards and I brought my little vision board and I had put it in the hotel and I'll never forget. I woke up the next morning and I just saw my vision board and it said, I think I had written 246 because back in back then, I think it was 247 to qualify. And I just remember waking up and I'm like, did this really happen? Like I'm going to Olympic trials in seven weeks. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So that was definitely a turning point in my career. And then hold on, uh, hold on for a sec. Cause that's so much right there. And I don't want to just take all that. And you have so many other races we're going to talk about. So I don't want to just blow past all that. That's a huge, huge amount of stuff to process. So, um, for everybody listening at home, um, Jack Daniels, method of training methodology is amazing stuff. I've read his book like probably 20 times cover to cover. Um, you can pick it up and everything is still the same. Um, the V dot, uh, platform and certification for coaches has all come about from his training and methodology and approach to training and pacing with training. So Claudia is talking about all that, like, you know, her coach, Michael, looking it up in the book, what pace he was training her at or what pace she thought she should be running at. Well, as runners, it's natural. It's, it's the way we're all programming. We want to move to the next level. We want to jump to the next chart. We want to jump to, I can do my mile repeats at this, but a good coach is always looking out for our best and wanting us to hit our best and, and hit our optimum performance on race day, which was that last day to qualify for your first Olympic trial. So he's trying to probably hold you back a little, protect you, got the chance to see you run the 10 by one mile repeats on the track at Stanford with his other athletes. So he gave you you know, the chance to run with them and see you in person, right? And then could could tell that you were ready. But for him to tell you that is one thing to get the out there in the race is another thing, but that platform is available. It's free. The V dot, you can download the V dot app and you can plug in any race that you've run a 5k, a five mile, a 10 mile. And that doesn't mean you're going to hit those times because Claudia was training to run a great marathon. You might be more pre, you know, focused on five Ks or five milers or have more natural speed, but maybe not doing as much distance work at home. So I always like to break some of this stuff down, not only on what the athlete did and what the coach did and how they worked on it together and how exciting it was, but also to share some details for anybody who's listening at home, because you can download, you know, V dot and put those same types of things into your own phone and say, okay, I just ran a 5k at 21 flat. What does that look like for me on training paces, et cetera? And, uh, you know, to wake up that next day, um, you know, and have it all like come true. Um, it's just, it's amazing. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I could see your face through the zoom screen and I could just see how amazing that memory is for you. And it's, that's the way running is a memory can be, you know, five years old or 10 or 15 years old. If anything, they get better. Um, uh, because we, as we have more time between these events, our perspective really broadens, right? And we know what it takes to stay healthy. And we know how hard it is to make it through a cycle. And we know how hard it is to get a race day right. So, you know, when he saw you at 20 miles and you took off, 
man, you know, you could, it could have gone the wrong way. It, it didn't, man. It went the right way. You went for it. You went bold and, you know, you came in second, you know, you made the qualifier and you had the experience of a lifetime at that point. Cause you know, you were really inexperienced at that point. Um, so yeah, you wake up the next day and you're an Olympic marathon trials qualifier. I mean, what the hell that had to feel like pretty amazing, right? Yes. Yes. It was like surreal. Just in the fact I was like, I can't believe this happened, you know, cause I tried in Berlin and then, um, and then in Napa, like Tom was like spot on with our race strategy. And then, and it's funny, like till this day, I still talk to him and we still laugh. He goes, Oh gosh, I'll never forget seeing you at the top of the hill. He goes, you should have, he's like, you took off way too fast. Like you should have just, you kind of have to like, and that's like, yeah, that probably came to an experience. Like you don't just like go balls of the wall. Like you have to like make a little stride because, you know, um, but we like laugh about that. And, um, yeah. And then the other side of me was, oh, I get to run a marathon in seven weeks now. <laughs> so Tom, um, was very close with Jack Daniels. So he called Jack and he's like, you know, I have two athletes that just qualified for Olympic trials, the race in seven weeks, you know, what, what do I do? Because they have this huge fitness already in in their legs, but then they need a break. So Jack helped devise a great strategy for us. And so we took a week completely down and we didn't do anything, um, full rest. And then Jack just said, you know what, maybe just a couple key workouts, nothing huge. And then maybe, I think we might've done like a 16 mile long run or something, but nothing crazy. Cause then before you know it, it's time to taper again. Um, and I know Tom was so proud and I was so proud to be of his group. Cause he had, I know maybe it was in 2012, he had more athletes, but I think in 2008, he had three athletes and it was just such a great weekend just to be there with my two teammates and be there with Tom and he, especially for Shal and I, since we had that shortened, you know, period, um, between races, our whole goal was just experience this and, you know, let's see what you can do and just kind of get, you know, like put yourself in there and be like, you know what? I belong. Like I did this. I belong to be here amongst the top Americans in the, in the U S and I mean, I'll just never forget like putting on my racing flats and I look over and Dina Caster's right next to me. And I, and she's like, good luck. How are you feeling? And I mean, I was just this fan girl and my eyes were wide. And, um, and then to be there with my friend, Dana, who believed in me forever, you know, she was the one that got this into my head to, Hey, you have the talent, you can do this. And so it was great to have her. And I think, I mean, my husband's family came to watch. My family flew in. We had tons of friends that flew in. And then a lot of our friends were doing Boston the next day. So that was such a great, I mean, the crowds were, because this is the first year um, it was before like a major race. So it was like the day before. So, um, and it was a criterium course. So it was fun to watch the race kind of unfold. And even just seeing like Magda, I was like, who is that? She doesn't even have a bib on and like, you know, watch her take off. And then I could see my friend Dana cause she was like in the top 15. Um, and just like, yeah, just experience it. And then 
the last 400, the crowds got even louder. I was like, wow, they're cheering for me. And all of a sudden I see these guys lined up and they don't have any shirts on. And they each had a letter painted on their chest that spelled out Joni and say they were going nuts. And all of a sudden Joan Benoit comes barreling ahead of me. And I was like, I need to stay. I need to try to stay with Joni. But I was just, I was so tired. I was just dead. But that in itself, I was like, oh my gosh, Joan Benoit is right here. And it was just, it was surreal. And I think I was the last person to break 250 that day. So I was pretty proud that, you know, seven weeks after that huge breakthrough that I was able to still, you know, run high 249 and then just have that experience. And and then the post-race party, I mean, yeah, I think we were hanging out with like a bunch of the Hansons. So like Desi was there and a bunch of the other Hansons. So such, it was so amazing. That's epic. So that's 2008. So that was, you, that was Boston, right? Where the, uh, yes. where the trials were. Yeah. Cause I remember I had a uh, Susan Logan on and she talked about that being just an amazing, you know, venue to run. And, um, I remember when it was in central park here in our backyard, yes. um, what it, what an amazing day that was. Um, you know, sadly, um, the runner from Notre Dame, um, you know, Ryan. passed that day, Ryan yeah. Shea. Um, which I'll never forget because they worked on him right away. But but what an experience for you to get to run in that race seven weeks apart. Um, and your coach could reach out to Jack Daniels directly. Like that's just, you know, now I'm so glad I brought up the whole V dot and the coaching thing, yes. you know, and took the little pause there because I mean, the man is beyond legendary status. I mean, this, this, what he's done for the sport and coaching and his philosophies and how to train to get the maximum out of an athlete and also just an amazing coach in his own right, you know, with, with his coaching teams himself. And then how many, um, actual running coaches like totally, truly adopted his style and philosophy. Um, so what an amazing thing, you know, that, you, you know, your coach Tom was able to reach back to him and then kind of come up with that, you know, let's say abbreviated approach to that seven week period and, you know, one week full rest, God bless. I mean, you know, so many people just think, let's just keep running. Let's keep going. no, um, you know, so you put a plan together, you know, authored in part by, you know, Jack Daniels himself, you get to run on a criterium style Boston course. Joni's out there. You're talking to Dina on the line, Des, the Hansons, everybody. I mean, it's, it's, you can't beat it. I mean, that's impossible to beat. Um, and to be part of that. And then Boston is like the next day, right? The race is the next yes. day. So it's like the weekend of all time, man. I'm so crushed that I missed that. I missed that and wasn't up there for that one. But um, what a, what an experience for you. And then you got to run with your friend, you know, who was the one who kind of worked on your psyche and told you you could do this. Dana, who was, you know, not only, um, you know, running it herself, but also was becomes one of your influential coaches. But we'll talk more about that stuff as we go down the line a little bit more because I want to go through more of a couple more of your key races and you know big moments if you will but it's going to be hard to kind of top that um but I know you have others so if you want to talk about a couple of other key you know meaningful moment races that have shaped you along the journey you know feel free to take take another one and and let's get into it yeah so after that um I mean 2008 was just yeah I'm like how do I top this because I had gotten engaged in 2007. So we were getting married in 2008. And then I remember Tom was like, well, let's just get a half marathon in before your wedding. 
Um, and then your season will be done. So I like PR'd in the half. I was like, how can I beat this year? Like, you know, it was just awesome. And, um, and then 2009 went pretty well. And then, yeah. And then we decided to move from Chicago to California to be closer to Tom. And just, I couldn't handle the Chicago winners anymore. And I really wanted to see what I could do getting away from those harsh winners, um, and having a coach, you know, have his eye on me almost every day. Um, and I was, you know, working full-time as a nurse at Stanford and then running and, um, running went okay, but I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because of 2008. I was like, Oh, now, now I was getting greedy. I was like, okay, now I need to break 240. But then it got to be very stressful because every race I was like, I have to break 240 because, you know, and especially my VDOT says I can run a 238, you know, because I had ran this half marathon, another half marathon, even faster than the 2008 one. And, um, yes, I think that was a little bit of a detriment to, some of my years when I was living out in California and I was just all that pressure I was putting on myself. Um, but in 2010, I did qualify for my second Olympic trials. So I ran, um, 2012 trials were in Houston and that was the first time where they did the men and they combined the men and the women. Um, so that in itself was a whole other experience like navigating now we have men now they have their there's more bottles but the crowds I felt like we're 10 rows deep now because now we have you know more runners more crowds um but again I was like I need to break 240 need to break 240 and I just I feel like on a good day I run a 244 on a bad day I run a 244 so I ran another 244 at the 2012 Olympic trials um and then after that, Tom and I had a, you know, really good discussion. He's like, you know, I think we're getting a little stale. Um, I think it'd be good if you have another eye on you. Um, so we talked about different various coaches. And so I had reached, I had a few friends that were working with Brad Hudson. So I reached out to Brad and then we were still living in California. So Tom, um, would check in on me and then Brad was coaching me remotely. Um, but I was again, working full time. And then Brad was training me. Like he trains his other athletes, very high mileage. I was doing doubles. I was running like 95 to hundred miles a week when before Tom, I think I peaked at like 78. Um, so that was a huge change. And by like 2013, I was just mentally and physically just, I was just so burnt out. So I was curious and I got into, um, CrossFit. So I did CrossFit and ran for fun. And then, um, yeah, then when we moved to Denver in 2014, um, I reconnected with Brad and, um, I was, we had a great discussion and I just said, I'm going to be working full time. I'm older. I, was the zombie back when I was doing 95 miles a week working full time. And, um, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know what, let's just give this a shot. I've never coached an older athlete. I've never coached anybody at lower mileage, but what's the worst that's going to happen. And so June of 2014 started up with Brad again. And then, um, he told me along the way, he's like, Hey, whatever happens, this is just a cherry on the top. 
He's like, you've already qualified for two Olympic trials. You know what? Let's just see. We'll just shoot for 244 again. <laughs> Cause I think the standard was 245. Um, and yeah, the other race that just brings joy to my heart is the 2014 USA marathon championships where we're, we're they were at twin cities. Um, so October, 2014 and training had gone so well, um, that summer, because again, I was working full-time and I would run at four in the morning before work on workout days, Brad would meet me. We, I'd have my headlamp on, he'd have his watch. Like if I was on the track or else, um, my husband would bike with me and Brad would drive around in the car and then get to work by seven o'clock. Fortunately, we had a shower at work. So I would quickly shower at work and then patient patients would start rolling in at like seven 30. And even if I had a bad workout, it, I had to like, as soon as I walked into that clinic, it was just like, okay, bad workout done. Now I have to focus on my patients, you know, and I'm caring for patients that have cancer. And it's just, it just put a lot of stuff in perspective. I was like, Oh, what was me? My 800 workout was awful, blah, blah, blah. you know, but then I just put my head down and, you know, cared for these patients. And, um, and then I didn't do doubles. And so usually after work, we would just head back down to Denver because I was working up in Boulder at the time or else I would go lift. Um, and yeah, and I just never felt like a zombie, like I used to, um, and then I'll never forget. I did this workout as a typical Brad workout. It was like 5k on or 4k on 1k off or something. And my pace was 608 pace and for the whole thing. And one of his other athletes who was a professional runner, she's like, Oh my gosh, you just did that up here in altitude. She's like, you're going to break 240." And Brad is so good with numbers and he had predicted I was going to run a high 238, but he didn't tell me because he didn't want to put that pressure of that. Oh, I have to break this 240. So, yeah. So I went into the USA marathon champs, um, with my goal of just trying to get the B standard. And then, um, since it was a championship race, I thought getting 10th would have been amazing. Um, cause they, I think 10th place got a hundred dollars. So I was like, Oh, how cool. I get a hundred dollars. And, um, in a side note, cause I think this is so cute. I met this woman. So when we landed at the airport, they had the elite athlete shuttle to take us to the hotel. And the woman that was coordinating, I was talking with her and she's like, Oh, where are you from? And she's like, Oh, are you going to win? And I said, no, I, I think so-and-so might win. And I said, I just want to get 10th. And, and she's like, okay, well, good luck. And she's like, I am one of the drug testers. So if you run really well, you're a drug tester. I was like, well, I don't know if that, you know, just, yeah, whatever. Um, so the race went off and I just remember running like 625s and I was like, I don't feel good. So mile two, I still didn't feel great. My husband was at, after the race, he told me he was so scared. He was like, all of a sudden I saw these high bibs. I didn't see you come through. And then he was texting Brad because Brad was like, okay, what was her second mile or third mile? And Brad was like, uh oh. And then, but I just, I think with, I was getting more experience. So I knew, like, okay, calm down. I, this is a long race. Like, just, it's fine. 
And all of a sudden I started running next to this guy and his name is Michael. And we were chatting and he said, what are you shooting for? I said, Oh, I really want to qualify for the Olympic trials. He's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot for like a 243. You know, I'd be happy to run with you. And there was a couple other guys and he's like, Hey, you guys, can we help Claudia? She's trying to qualify for Olympic trials. So I had Michael and like some of these other guys just kind of help me. And we just started clicking off miles and I got in the groove and I promised Michael, I was like, if you get me to this Olympic trials standard, I will buy you a beer. He's like, okay, game on. Um, so after the race, I was like, we'll meet up, I'll buy you beer. And, um, mile 23, Michael was like, Claude, you look awesome. Take off. And it's another very rolly hill or rolly, gosh, rolly course. And my husband was on one of the, like the B cycle bikes, like those big bikes that you can rent. And so every mile he would sprint up, get my mile split, send it to Brad. And it was funny to look the text chain after, cause you'd see, cause Brad would be like, nice, great. And then there's a couple in the downhills where I ran like 545 or something. And Brad's like, whoa. And my husband would be like, that was a downhill. And so it was just so cute. And at yeah, 23, we were approaching an uphill. And my husband was like, you're in sixth place. I was like, well, six? I don't, I want to be like on one hand. I want to go, I'm like, I'm fifth, not two hands. And so I'm pretty strong on uphills. I'm not the best downhill runner. So I passed her on the uphill. And then I just remember I could not, I was, I mean, I couldn't squeeze out anymore. I mean, I was in, that's all I could do. And then we came down that huge hill and all I could see was a two and a three. And I was like, what? I didn't have any concept. And then I crossed the finish line and I ran my two thirty nine twelve finally. And I get done. And they're like, you're in fifth place. I was like, Oh my gosh. And the woman that I had met two days or yeah, two days before at the shuttle, she came up to me and she gave me this huge hug. And I like wrapped my legs around her and she goes, Claudia, guess what? I'm taking you to drug testing. And I was just like, I was like crying. I was so excited. And then I, my husband was there and and I was like, but I have to wait for Michael. I have to get his phone number. So we waited for Michael and he ran a PR. And so um, he and my husband exchanged numbers. And so, yeah, so got drug tested. I remember I called um, Brad and then I also called Tom and I was in the drug testing tent. And they're like, you can't be calling people. <laughs> and it was just such a fun, it was just, yeah, another amazing, perfect day. Um, and even Tom, he's like, Claudia, that was a textbook race. Cause I think I negative split a, a little bit and, you know, just finally I went in so relaxed. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I think that just being so relaxed, I finally broke that 240 barrier. And just to know that I qualified for my third Olympic trials and yeah. And then I texted Michael and he actually, I, um, there was a party for the elite athletes that night. So I was able to let Michael and his friends come and they were just like so grateful because they got to meet all their running idols. And yeah, it's another surreal moment that I just get so much joy talking about. That is 
Absolutely awesome. I didn't know if you're going to be able to beat your Boston story, but that one might be better. Um, there's, there's so much in there. I mean, first you're shooting for top 10, you know, you have that, you know, who knows why we pick these things, who has any idea why, but we're all, I just bought a hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, a hundred dollars, right. I mean, just think about how crazy that is, like how, but how simple it is, how pure it is. Right. But that was where your, you went, your mind went there, your focus went there. And, you know, like, so maybe that was just a way of taking off the, the sub 240 pressure, like let's just go for the placement, like top 10. So many other important stuff in there too. I mean, like with Brad, just, you know, his style of coaching is a high volume, you know, doubles, strength-based and it works and it really does work well, but it doesn't work well for everyone and everyone's circumstances are different. So now you're working a lot more hours, you're on your feet a lot more, you've aged, you've more years you're into masters now and you have to be more aware of your body and and how much time you're on your feet in a cancer nursing care area which is a whole lot different nursing is exhausting anyway i work in healthcare but nursing and taking care of cancer patients is very different so so much perspective change for you you know you're coming in you don't have a great 800 meter workout and then you know you're talking to somebody who might not be alive 2 weeks from now and um i think that had a huge effect on you to be able to just start letting go of those things that maybe you weren't letting go of before. And again, it's not my place to speak for, but just hearing you say it, it sounds like that had a big impact because somewhere in there, we all just hold on to these things, right? And here's the funny thing I've learned, Claudia, hosting all these great conversations is like, when we do have a great workout and we nail the long run, we're like trying to find out why it really wasn't as good, right? Like something, well, the yes. weather was the weather was good. Well, I had three friends. Well, Michael and his friends helped me. Like I'm saying, <laughs> we, we find all these other reasons why. Yeah. And it's almost like we're not discrediting it didn't happen, but we're almost questioning like, well, I don't know. But when something goes wrong, we're never willing to ever give ourselves any grace. Like, well, I had two and a half hours sleep, or I didn't get my nutrition right, or I just wasn't feeling well, or maybe in women's case, you're having your period or other things that are affecting you. There's a thousand things that can affect us when we lace up our shoes and we go to do a hard workout or a long training run, but we tend to never give ourselves grace on any of our misses or our hard days. And then when we do something well, we're just trying to give the credit, you know, to everybody else. So you made changes with how you and Brad were going to work together. You know, you're definitely letting go of the tougher or areas where maybe we're struggled with before, like workouts, if they weren't exactly where you wanted. And I think you just kind of almost made peace with the sub 240 thing before the race anyway, when you were focused on a placement as opposed to like such narrow and specific paces. And then, you know, we need to run into somebody like Michael out there and his friends. We need that because it, it can change our day. It can relax us. We breathe better. You know, we're in a groove and we're with other people. It's no different than in Boulder doing a long run with a bunch of your friends and you're out on the trail or you're running mag somewhere, you know, at altitude and you're crushing a workout and you're like, wow, we just ran that pace. And just like you said that one day, like they're reminding you, you did the the uh, 4K workout, you know, at at altitude because it's not the same. So I think there was like so much in there. And then most importantly, you know, when the, when the rubber met the road, you know, you were able to crank it up late 
and end up, you know, coming in fifth. You you finally nailed the sub two forty, and you get to your your third trial. So like just un- just unbelievable in every every possible way. I know your husband is out there, so he's in it with you. He's riding around on the bike and doing the splits. Um, what was it like for your friends who knew what a big goal that was for you to get the sub two forty and get another Olympic trials, and also for Brad, your coach? What was it like from from their perspective and your friends and people who are in your life? So a lot of people that know me, I don't, I am very secretive is not the right word. I don't like to, I don't know if it's a fear of failing. Like I don't like to broadcast what I'm doing. So I was just kind of flying under the radar with this race. Like my teammates knew I was doing this, but I wasn't telling my close friends knew my family knew, but I wasn't telling, you know, if I was just running with somebody randomly, I wasn't telling that person. Um, cause I partly, I just like, I didn't want the pressure and I just didn't really know, you know, coming off of not really running in 2013. Um, yeah. So I think if by not telling many people, the amount of responses and messages I got after the race, I was like, I was in tears because people were like, what? we didn't even know your training. And this one girl was like, yeah, when I saw you, you were just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I might do marathon this fall. And she goes two thirty nine. like people were just ecstatic. And my husband, um, it was so funny the next morning, he's like, oh gosh, I am so sore. I'm like, did you just say that? (laughs) I'm like, I'm the one that ran. And he goes, Claudia, I did 26 miles up and down the course and a heavy bike. And it was so funny because we walked by one of those bikes and I kind of, I tried to lift it. I was like, Oh, okay. Case of point. Um, and Brad was stoked. I mean, he is a man of, he's not going to be like screaming and yelling in the phone. Like, you know, but he's like, great job. And he's like, and later on when we talked, he goes, yeah, after you did that workout that, yeah, I think it was like a 30 K workout or something. Um, but broken up in the four, four K hard one K moderate workout. Um, he is very good at predicting and he's like, yeah, I predicted like two thirty eight fifty something. Um, I was like, well, bummer, but I, cause then I was like, oh, if I would have known, maybe I would have tried to dip under the two thirty nine. But I, again, I, I couldn't have gotten anything more <laughs> out of that day, but yeah. Everyone was just so happy. And then, and then it's like, I was celebrating finally getting this time, but then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Olympic trials for the third time. Like I was just so proud and so proud of all the hard work and, you know, the fact that I was working full time and just doing this quote unquote for fun and not having that pressure. Um, and then, yeah, and we just kept the momentum going. Um, training was going really well in 2015. Um, but then there was another little part where I got greedy because Brad, my workouts were going really well. And he, he actually told my husband, he's like, I think she can run at 235. I was like, Oh, okay. Wow. So now, so, um, when that was all happening, um, again, I was still working, but we had an opportunity to go to Henderson, Nevada for six weeks before the Olympic trials with the Hudson elite. 
And so I quit my job and I was like, okay, I'm going all in. I'm going to run a 235. And, um, and then we know what happened in LA, <laughs> the LA, the Olympic trials in LA in 2016 were very, very hot. So, um, yeah. And I kind of went in because back in the day I was pretty durable. I didn't get hurt a lot, which was great. Um, and I think that was a sentiment to like, you know, not doing the super high mileage. And I always had a day off. Um, and even with Brad's training, we got to the point where I was doing just workouts on Wednesday and Saturday. And then all the other days were either like striders and little hill sprints. So I wasn't like tearing at my body that much. Um, so by the time the 2016 trials came, I mean, I remember that morning I was like, Oh, hopefully four hours from now I'll be back in the hotel room and I'll be done. <laughs> like it just, I was so cooked. So yeah. And it was a super hot day. And, um, at one point I looked at my watch and I was like, Oh boy, I'm getting really slow. And then I just kept negotiating. I was like, okay, don't get slower than seven 30. Oh, don't get slower than eight. And then when I got to eight 30, I'm like, okay, if you get to nine, I better just stop. And then a bunch of, um, you know, people had just dropped out of the race and Brad saw me, I think at like 16 or something. And he's like, Claude, just, just pull. And I'm like, no, I was so determined. I just put my head down and I'm like, if I have to, I'm like, as long as I stay under nine minutes, a mile, I am determined to get that medal. Cause I wanted to have my like three Olympic trials medals and yeah. So I finished and it was pretty close to the, <laughs> the last place, but um, yeah. And it was by far a humbling experience, but it was in a way it, it wasn't a typical Claudia race. Like I didn't have like a mean face on, like I normally do. I high five the crowd. I smiled at the crowd. Cause I was like, this is such a, disaster, but, um, yeah, so, so definitely took a lot of learning experiences from that, but yeah, but with time, we always gain perspective and, you know, I just see, you know, again, I can see you as well as hear you. So that's what I love about zoom. Um, I bet you're pretty damn proud of yourself that you didn't drop that you stayed yes. in that oh, race. Yes. And what's the theme of this show? What's the mantra of the show? It's stay in the fight, baby. We don't drop out of races when we're just having a rough day and we're tired or the weather is extreme, which it was in LA that year. It was just so damn hot. And there was no relief. I mean, you were you were exposed at every point on that course. You know, the sun was just beating down on all of you. Um, and not saying that it's not okay to drop out of race. It is. Everybody's got their own, you know, reasons they're out there running for. Um, and being really injured is always a good reason to drop out of a race, but being exhausted and tired and just worn down, you know, from the weather and a rough day, you know, I think, you know, given the choice, you know, for the people listening to my show, if you can keep going and you can make it someday, you're going to be proud of yourself for that. It may not be a year from now. It might not even be three or four years from now, but maybe like five or 10 years as you age a little bit, you might be like, damn, I was tough that day. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people in the, in the Boston monsoon year that dropped out of that race because they had no choice. You know, they were truly hypothermic. Um, their temps were so dangerous. They had to go to a hospital. I ended up in the hypothermia tent after, but I was able to make it across the line and, you know, get checked like a lot of runners. 
Um, but sometimes you don't have the choice, Claudia. Sometimes you're actually pulled and because it's for your own safety. So I'm happy for you that you kept going because I can tell um, it's still a meaningful moment in a good way. Um, we're all not going to have our best race, you know, when that big day comes up. But to finish your third and get your third Olympic trials marathon medal is a big deal. I mean, there's there's very few people walking around in this world that can say they qualified and finished three Olympic trials marathons. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. So I ask every guest, drive, energy, spirit, competitiveness, where does it come from? You obviously have it in spades, um, particularly staying in that LA race, you know, when it's, when it's a heat grinder and you're, and you're struggling and your pace is slowing, but where do you think it comes from? Uh, it's a good question. I really, I've been thinking about this and I really truly think it was just an innate, um, I mean, I remember like when I was seven years old, we'd always be playing outside. Like I, you know, I would come home from school, play outside, go in when I, for dinner and then go back outside. And then like even playing ghosts in the graveyard with all the neighbors, like I just wanted to win. And I was like, I think I can like try to beat them to the can, you know, whatever. And, um, so I just remember like always just being competitive and always just wanting to try everything. And I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be good at something because growing up, um, I tried out for the travel soccer team and I got kicked in the stomach with the ball during the practice. And then I would barely, I would just run up and down the fields because I was too scared to go kick the ball. And then I didn't get on the team, of course. And I remember I was so sad and I was just like, well, I guess I'll just focus on studying hard and, um, I'll just always be a mediocre athlete. And so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I was just born with it or just watching my mom who never gave up. Like, I mean, she was one point she was working three jobs. She would work Monday through Friday during the day and then a job Tuesday and Thursday in the evening, and then like would waitress on Saturdays. And so I don't know if, yeah, I just, just watching her and like never giving up on your dream. And, um, and I just loved being a part of a team. I loved like being with my friends and all chasing for a common goal and whether it be winning as a team or even like the state, like the track meets when you're just running, like, okay, I want to be a state champion and, um, in this event. And, um, yeah. And I think just to see like how good I can be and just to get the best version of myself out every day. So awesome. And I'm sure uh, mom and dad are both very proud of your running and what you've accomplished because it's uh, it's pretty epic stuff. Um, I also like to ask every guest about mindset, you know, in terms of how they're approaching races or mantras, because I'm a big believer in mantras and mine is stay in the fight, which exists well outside of the racing world. It ex ex exists in my real world, like when things get tough, when things are difficult, family circumstances, business work, personal relationships. Um, do you have any specific like mantra or uh, self-talk that you use while you're out there in races when it gets tough? So I mean, one of them, cause I, my favorite athlete of course is Michael Jordan. Um, and I mean, I just, I, my dream school was North Carolina. Like I wanted to go because he went and I just, oh gosh. And just, being from living in Chicago during, you know, the bulls and the, uh, those epic games and, oh, and so I love his quote. 
Um, the sorry, I can accept failure. Everyone fails to accept things, but I can't accept not trying. Um, and I think that really helped, especially with the 2014. And then even, even in LA. Um, and the other thing too, that kind of goes through my head is not necessarily a mantra. Um, well, it's a poem. There's a poem called don't quit. And it's just like when the going gets tough, um, or when something like you can put, you can rest, but then like, so sometimes when you race, I'll be like, okay, you can rest for a second, but then just keep going again. Um, and then I also sing songs. So at the state cross country meet, cause back in the day, back in the nineties, cross country was, it was two miles for women. And we all loved guns and roses, you know, growing up in the eighties and November rain. If you listen to the whole song, it's about, I don't know if it's like 10 minutes or super long or nine minutes. And my high school coach would be like, Claude, just sing the whole November rain song. And then by the time you're done with the song, the race is going to be over. So sometimes like during marathons, I'll just like sing the song in my head and then I'll sing like queen in my head. So, but yeah, but definitely the Michael Jordan quote has gotten me through a lot. Um, and even like the rule 76 from, (laughs) from wedding crashers, um, no excuses play like a champion. And that's, that's kind of helping me today too. Um, you know, when I don't want to do my PT exercises or something and I'm like, no excuses, play like a champion, a champion will put their head down and do the little stuff that you don't want to do. <laughs> so love, love the wedding crashers, uh, yeah. reference. <laughs> I mean, when you wrote me the notes, we're exchanging notes, we're coming on the show. I was like, I, I, I watch NCIS a lot. It's my, maybe my mom's favorite show. And Gibbs has all these rules, like rule 14 rules. I'm like, is that a Gibbs rule? Rule 76. I didn't know it was from wedding crashers. So yes. I'm so happy that came out in the show. Cause I was just like rule 76. What the hell is rule 76? I love yes. it. So Vince well, Vaughn said to Owen Wilson, he's like rule 76, no excuses, play like like a champion. <laughs> love it. Love it. And we all need more movies like that, man, because we, yes. we need more laughs for sure. And of course, we're going from laughs to darkest hole you've ever dug out of and how. So I guess I'm currently digging myself out of it. Um, I'm in better spirits now than I was probably a year ago. Um, so June 13th, I know the exact date. I know the hour. <laughs> June 13th of 2021. Um, I was biking with my friend while she was doing her long run. Um, I mean, my husband has been my number one supporter and has been on bike support for me for the last 15 years. And I was like, Oh, Paul can do it. I can do this. And I've helped pace friends on bikes before. Um, like if I wasn't running or something, I could, you know, help. I just love helping others. Um, and it was really hot that day. And I was like, you know what? I feel bad. She's going to be out there, you know, no fluids. Um, and crazy enough, the day before I had run 18 miles and I felt amazing. I was like, wow, I'm coming back. Cause I had some glute hamstring stuff going on in 20 fall of 2019. And then 2020 with the whole pandemic, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to rehab my leg. And then finally spring of 2021, things were really starting to click. And that 18 miler the day before I crashed was, I mean, I saw a glimpse of my old self and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I'm going to be 45 years old. I'm going to go for my fourth Olympic trials. And then that next morning, um, I ran an hour with her and then we ran back to the car and I hopped on my bike and I almost didn't put my helmet on, but something in my gut was like, you know, I just put your helmet on. And, um, I was on my road bike and I was on really narrow tires and I was clipped in and I had kept, I kept telling my husband that my shoes were not clipping in right. Like I kept skidding off like the, the pedals. And, but of course I didn't get them fixed. And when we started her second hour, I remember telling her, I was like, gosh, I haven't been on my bike in so long. Cause I haven't been injured, but I'm not able to clip in well. And, and we did an out and back and we went up this hill that was on gravel. And I remember being on study and I was so scared. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to slide backwards on this uphill. Cause I was on my road bike with these skinny tires and we got on the road and then we flipped around and I was approaching that hill and there was this little barricade. And then there was this like bush with this little entrance and I was coming from the road and I made a tight left turn and I, my gut was yelling at me, was like unclip and walk on the hill. Cause we were a half a mile from the car and she was zooming down the hill. And before I knew it, I like just made this tight turn and I just, I don't know if I like skidded out and I just, all my weight landed on my hip. And so I screamed for her cause I couldn't get unclipped. I was still clipped in. And then she unclipped me and then she, you know, pulled the bike aside and my leg just like blew up and I tried to bend my knee, but I couldn't bend my knee, which is the weirdest thing. And I was like screaming and it was a Sunday morning. And so all these people like heard me scream. One guy ran out of his house and I mean, you have to love Boulder. He runs out and he goes, um, what do you need? I just ran out of marijuana, but I have, <laughs> I have ice and Advil and Tylenol. And I was like, okay, ice. I really don't need any marijuana. <laughs> Sorry, I hope you're podcasting people, but yeah. But I mean, it's just like in Boulder, you know, they're like, you know, I was like, well, I was hesitant taking just being a nurse. I'm like, I don't want to take Advil. I better, I'll just take a Tylenol. So and a bunch of other people stopped to help. And then my friend went to go get her car and this nice gentleman, um, he was like putting his shirt over my head cause it was really hot and sunny. And I was like, you know, can we, would you mind helping me get up? I think I just need to walk this off. I think I just tore my hip flexor tendon or something. And I took a step and it was like a lightning bolt went up to my leg and Another man stopped who was a firefighter. He just happened to be off duty and he diagnosed me. He's like, you have a broken femur. I said, no, I don't. I just tore my hip flexor. And he's like, okay, well, you can think that, but you have a broken femur. And he's like, you really should go to the emergency room. And then I was like, yeah, considering I can't walk. So, um, they called the paramedics and then the paramedics, um, spoke to that other, that firefighter. And when we were in the ambulance, um, I was chatting with the paramedics and I was like, <laughs> like I was asking, I was telling them where to put the IV because <laughs> I, I have better veins, like, you know, and so they're like, yeah, we don't agree with that other 
by the other man, because if you would have broken your femur, you would have been in way more pain. And, and the guy goes, yeah, I'm sure you just tore your hip flexor. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. So then we went to the emergency room and I remember being so mad at the paramedics because I didn't put the lights on. And I was like, we're just driving down the highway at the normal speed. <laughs> but I think because I was like, you know, laughing with them. So then you know, got to the ER and then the ER doc was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you broke your femur. We'll get an x-ray to confirm this. And I was like, I disagree. I really think I tore my flexor. And yeah, he came back and he goes, well, you did a doozy. You broke it in three spots. So I broke it in my, um, in my inner trochanter. So it was between the greater and lesser trochanter. So I had this, and you could just see it right on the x-ray, this beautiful break. Um, so I had emergency surgery that night. And so they put a a rod down my femur and then two screws to anchor it down above my knee and then a nail up in my, um, hip. And so I had surgery that night and then stayed overnight. And then, um, I mean, it's kind of neat. I didn't have a cast or anything, but you know, we did start physical therapy the next afternoon. Um, and then I went home that night and then started aggressive PT, um, that week with my physical therapist, um, that I had been working with since 2017. So, um, yeah, so that was, I mean, that was devastating. I just, um, and I was on crutches for about 11 weeks. Um, and just, I couldn't, our bed is pretty high. So I couldn't even get I couldn't even use my leg strength to lift up my leg to get into bed. So I pretty much just slept on our couch. Um, and I was joking that I was like a vampire because I was in so much pain that I couldn't sleep during the night, but I could sleep during the day. Um, and he gave me pain meds, but only 10 days worth. So after that, I was only doing like Tylenol, um, and icing a ton, um, And I only took two weeks off of work and I went back to work. And so I was on my crutches and then I got this really nifty um, walker that had a seat. So I'd use, I put a patient's chart on the walker, walk into the exam room. And, um, and I felt bad because I was like, oh, you know, getting their history. And they're like, well, what happened to you? Why are you a walker? And, um, Yes. Yeah, so I continued to work and then I just did aggressive PT. Um, and then my goal was to take my first steps without any devices in Chicago, because that's where my running started in Chicago. I wanted to go back to my home and start my journey of whether I try to qualify for my fourth Olympic trials or whether I do another 50 K since I love those 50 Ks. Um, that was the start of everything, getting back to the Chicago. Um, and at that point, when I went back to Chicago, like in late August, last summer, I was using a cane. So, um, I lifted up my cane and took a couple steps on the lakefront. Um, it was just like liberating and yeah. And then right after labor day, I got cleared to stop using the cane. Um, and then I just had a it was intense. I mean, relearning how to walk. And then I think I finally, my husband said, he's like, Claude, at some point, you're just going to like, not think about, you know, getting into the car, getting onto the couch, getting under the bed. And I just remember one day I just got into bed 
And he's like, you just got into bed without like lifting up your leg. And, and then even just getting in out of the car, I was like, wow, I just did that without thinking like stuff you just don't think about. Um, and then, um, every, well, toward the fall, it was like every eight weeks we were getting x-rays. And so then finally December, the doctor said that everything had healed well. And he's like, yeah, you can start running again. So I started run walking. Yes. And, but it was, I mean, I stood, we live, um, near a trail, um, like the foothills and there's this beautiful lake and we started on this one side of the lake. And I just remember just standing there. I was like, I don't think I can do this. And my husband, he was trying to get back into running and he's like, it's just a minute. And it was the weirdest feeling like, cause one, I, what, you know, just relearning how to walk was a challenge in itself. And then just to be, to have this confidence that this bone is going to hold me up and I'm not going to feel like a lightning bolt go up. Um, but the day I got a surgery, I had been complaining about this knee pain and I was walk running. Finally, I think my brain was like, okay, we know what we're doing. Um, the walk running was getting better, but my knee was still hurting so bad. So, um, in January of this year, I asked my surgeon if I could take the screws out. So the owner of my gym had made a good point. She's like, why don't you get the screws out now instead of getting so comfortable at running and then getting the screws out in the summer? Cause then you're going to be set back more. So I got the screws taken out in March. Um, and then took about six weeks off again. Um, and then started walk running again. Um, and it was definitely, definitely not linear. I mean, there were days, I mean, even when the screws got out, my knee was still bothering me. Um, but I worked with my, I worked with the running whisperer, John in Arizona, and he, um, I went to go see him and he was like, my leg was just so twisted. And I think all the atrophy was just like all the, everything was just all the pressure was just going on my knee. So we did a ton of manual work, um, just a ton of strength training, building up that quad again, um, rolling out the IT band. And then, um, it's definitely, it was hard. I mean, there were days where I, you know, I dealt with, I mean, to be honest, I was dealing with anger. I was angry that I volunteered to bike. I was angry that I didn't listen to my gut to unclip and walk down the hill. I was, um, and then there were days where I would just cry. Cause I don't know, am I ever going to be able to walk? Am I ever going to be able to go run for with my friends again? And even if I can just run for 30 minutes, that's all I want right now. And it's just been a long road. And in those dark days, like, especially when I wasn't sleeping, I would just be on the internet. Like at one point I went on let's run and I put broken femur and I was like, okay, I can't be looking at this. <laughs> but then, and then I was trying to find other athletes because a ton of cyclists, like, I don't know how they do this. They crash intense crashes in the tour de France. And then they had just hop back on their bike. And so I was going on this rabbit hole of trying to find athletes that had broken their femur and had a rod. I actually found another runner that this happened to. Um, so I was reaching out to her. And then I, a lot of times I'll rewatch videos of Alex Smith, like when he snapped his ankle and I was like, there's no way he's ever going to play football again. And just to watch his journey, it's like, I needed some motivation 
I needed to watch other athletes get back. And like, I love Tiger Woods and just to watch his comeback. Um, cause we're the same age and I know it's a totally different sport, different injuries, but I'm like, you know what, why can't I, I just have to build up this strength. And every day, one of my good friends is, uh, he's in California and he's, um, he's a phenomenal marathoner, like 220 marathoner. And he also works full time for a orthopedic medical device company. And he said, he's like, Claude, you will get back, but this is going to be like a full-time job of you, um, of your rehab. And it's so true because it is doing strength in the gym, doing the PT, doing the mobility, doing the stretching, the rolling, and then even the nutrition, like protein and, um, and all that stuff. Um, but I'm happy to say that on Saturday I ran six, I'm a dorky runner. So I ran 6.6 miles. Um, it was about 50 minutes and I, I wouldn't say I'm like hundred percent pain-free, like my hip and quad and knee are a little tight, but the fact that I was able to run almost an hour, I'm just like, I'm happy. I'm like scared. It's just like, I'm excited. Um, and I really, everybody said you have to be patient and I just, I hated that word, but it is, it's very true. And I see Brad a ton at the gym. We work out at the same gym here in Boulder. And when this happened, he's like, Claude, I believe this is probably the best thing that could have happened to you. He's like not having to have surgery, but he's like, you have been going hard since you were 14 without really many breaks. And I'm like, yeah, but Brad, this is like a year break. He's like, yeah, but I just think you're doing all the little stuff that most athletes or runners don't have time for. You are actually like, you're rebuilding your leg from your foot up. And he's like, you could even, maybe you're going to run faster. You know, we don't know. Um, but I'm just so grateful. And I just think about, I think Robin Arzan said this from Peloton, like, today, think about where you wanted to be last year. So like this time last year, all I said was I wanted to run a half an hour and just to run 50 minutes. I'm just like, I'm so grateful for, I mean, my husband is supportive. I'm grateful for my team of medical professionals that believe in me that work tirelessly. Like when I call or text them in tears, um, that my leg is still hurting, um, and when this happened, it is amazing. I knew I had close friends and people care about me, but for the first few months, I had somebody coming over every day just to check in or bring flowers or bring dinner. And I was just like, I, I was like this community that we've built in Boulder. And then even in California and Chicago, it's just, people really do care. And I think without their help, I would probably still be laying on the couch crying because I can't go for a run. And sometimes my family doesn't understand. They're like, well, can you just do another sport? I was like, no, I don't. I did a 12 mile hike a few weeks ago and we had a great time, but I just don't get the same endorphins. I mean, I was on cloud nine on Saturday. I was just like, I'm ready to rule the world just for running, you know, 50 minutes. Um, and the day that I got my screws taken out, the registration for Elise Kopecky's Rise and Run France retreat opened up. 
And when the registration opened up, I got online, I clicked purchase the ticket or whatever, and I got on. So on September 25th, I'm going to be part of this retreat with Elise um, in Chamonix in France. And she said, it's a running retreat. And in March, I was like, well, I'm walk running right now, but I have six months to be able to run at least 10 miles. So, you know, let's do this. And then it's definitely out of my comfort zone because I do not like trails. Everyone that knows me, I mean, I could go run in Central Park for hours. I love the pavement. I love, uh, I just give me like a neighborhood road. And um, so this is going to be all on trails. So I'm excited for the challenge. I'm excited that I'm running and just to be part of this retreat. Um, you know, I'm just curious to see what Claudia 2.0 is going to bring. Well, thank you for sharing that. You've been through one hell of a hell of a rough ride and it's super tough uh, when we get to those darkest moments. And I'm just happy that you have not just your husband, but a seriously tight knit, strong community that's supporting you. Uh, trying to make it back. And, you know, for our non-running friends and f- non-running family, they'll never understand you know, what it's like to lose the thing that we love the most. So um, they only mean well. They only want us to be happy, um, you know, encouraging you to hike or swim or do other things. But they just, you know, it's just not something that we can take out of. You know, it's it's in our heart. It's in our soul. It's it's who we are. It's, it's uh, part of our very being. And you know, for any of us that have suffered, um, that's such an unbelievably extreme injury and you've been through so much, but anybody who's ever had a, a really complicated stress fracture, um, which I did and so many other runners do, that pain, um, the pain sensation sometimes are from our brain just trying to protect us. And sometimes it's not even actually real and we're, we're still processing our body, still trying to figure out, is this safe? Is this okay? Are we going to be okay? So just as I say on the show, stay in the fight, man. You already have. You're already, you're, you're making your way back and you you will. You will make your way back. Um, anybody who's been through something that that difficult, that brutal, you know, it may not seem like it, but there is another person out there that's come through it and, you know, you hit it. Maybe they're a cyclist, maybe they're a triathlete, maybe they're not as much of a runner, quote unquote, where it's running all the time, but somebody out there has had that kind of thing. So you'll be that next person and you sharing it so um, openly on this conversation hopefully will inspire somebody else who has a similar injury that they don't think they can come back from, that they don't think they'll get back out there on the roads again or on the trails. Um, So um, it's awesome. And hang in there, man. And as we say, stay in the fight because you'll you'll make it out to the other side. I, I know I know that you will. In my case, I was two years it's been two years for me for my stress fracture, and only now am I have I stopped wow. thinking about have I stopped thinking about landing on that right leg, you know, where in the knee area, you know, where the acute stress fracture was. So no, I, you just it just takes a certain amount of time after doing all those other things that Brad highlighted that you're doing to strengthen and and going to see the run whisper and doing all those other things. So you just you keep doing it, man, and you're gonna. You're gonna. I don't know that you're ever gonna be as fast or get back. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But I guarantee you, you'll be just as happy. Because um, when you can get out there and make a six point six run, you know, an eight point eight or a ten point ten or some other number, and you can just go a little further, your smile will get bigger. So um, 
you know, just God bless and, and stay after it. Now, at this point, I usually dig into deeper coach-athlete relationships. Now, you had three, and we really talked about the first two significantly. So we don't really have enough time to get into them any further. I mean, we've certainly talked a lot about how Brad and Brad's style worked for you um, and how effective it was for you and, you know, what you guys did together as a tandem. And certainly your first coach, Tom, and everything that he was able to do for you and work together. But we really didn't get a chance to talk much about Dana and, you know, the impact that she had with you and you're kind of setting you up to believe you could make the trials or whatever. So we could spend a little time on that and then we have to get the community service and wrap. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, Dana was, she was kind of like my quasi coach. Like she just, because she was getting ready. Um, she actually ended up qualifying for the world marathon team in 2007. So she was getting ready for that. So I kind of like, um, just did whatever workouts she did. Um, but she was the first one to really believe in me and believe like, Hey, just do these workouts with me and let's, you know, then I think you can do this. And, um, but then, you know, I really going back, I really think my high school coach, had a huge role. I mean, he definitely had a huge role and he was, a lot of people didn't like his coaching style. He's very, he would yell. I had to do workouts over because I'd be too much in my head in the beginning. And then he would make me stay after, and I would have to repeat intervals or something. And he would scream during races. Um, but for some reason I responded really well. And we would sit down at the beginning of every year. And he's like, I think you can be a state champion. He's like, but we have to do this and this and this. And he's like, you are one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. And you have to, and he would always touch my head. He's like, you have to get it in your head that you can believe in that. And, um, and I still like talk to him. I, cause I got a little beat up in 2011 before the 2012 trials. And I was just, I went to go see John in Arizona and I came back and I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't run in like six weeks. And my nickname in high school is hopper. And he's like, I called him and he's like, Oh, hopper, you're gonna be fine. Come on two weeks consistently. You're going to be fine. And before you know it, you're going to be back to running your six minute pace. And he was right. Like, I just needed him to remind me, like, get out of your head, put in the work, and you know, you're going to be fine. And then I, you know, I made it to the start line healthy and ready to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, and just from what he did, like, you know, when I get recruited in high school, like he came over the house and like helped my, cause my mom was so overwhelmed. She didn't know what to do, like talking to coaches and stuff. So he was just, he was like a dad in a way, like, you know, and he just, and again, his training worked for me and, um, he pulled out that girl that was dreaming of being, you know, Cindy McLaughlin into, uh, <laughs> into a marathoner. So, um, yeah, so I would say him and then, yeah. And then Dana too was the one that got my marathon career going. Well, it's about self-belief. Um, yeah. and you know, him, him from the high school level and his style, um, and your style mesh and click and not everyone's do. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, if that bothers or offends someone else or it, it really connects with you. The only thing that really matters at the end of the day is that the connections that we forge, um, styles make fights as they say. Um, and the fact that, you know, you two were able to work and, and develop, um, his self-belief in you, um, it, it came through and it stayed with you and it's, it resides in you now. And the same thing with your friend Dana, who was, uh, 
a sub elite runner or elite runner, not really sub elite elite, um, telling you, you can make this and make the standard and do this and do these workouts with me. Um, this is how we grow. Um, this is how we learn to believe in ourselves. And then at some point, you know, hopefully you're going to pass that stuff on to other runners in the Boulder community and other people that maybe follow you on Instagram or hear our conversation today because somebody out there is going to go, wow, I wonder if I can do this. You know, I listen to this show. I wonder if I could ever run in one Olympic trials. You know, she ran in three and maybe has dreams of four. So um, I love uh, everything you've shared. And the last place I always um, end every episode is community service because I think it's so important and we all need to do more of it. And your profession to start with is obviously one of giving back. Um, but what is something you're doing um, that you want to highlight and talk about before we roll out? So kind of like going back to like what you said, like, I think one of my things, like I've been really trying to look back at this crash, like, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ever going to have the, wow, this is why this happened. You know, I don't know, maybe in a couple of years and be like, you know what, that was the best thing that happened to me. But in the meantime, I'm really hoping, yeah, that I can pass on that, you know, I just turned 46. I saw these goals. I do have a lot of younger brother, younger runners that have reached out to me. They're like, how are you still doing this? And how are you like, and I was like, well, the one thing is I love it. I've taken little breaks, like like my little CrossFit break. And I had the drive and the passion to start training again. And I, I, I truly believe once I start not loving the process, I'm going to do something else, but I still love this process. I love the process of, you know what, last week I did five miles this past weekend I did six. So like there's, I'm always seeing, um, so I'm hoping it's not like community service, but in a way, like just helping other athletes, like see like, yeah, who knows if I'm going to be able to run a sub 237 for my fourth Olympic trials, but I'm willing to give it a shot and just for other people to hopefully get motivation by that. Um, and my other passion, I love the I love what I do for work. I'm in radiation oncology. I love taking care of patients. Um, my career started out, I did pediatric oncology and I, I mean, those kids brought so much life to me. I mean, they, they had cancer and they would just have this smile on their face and they're so resilient and they just made, they were just like, I mean, one of my patients, I, I think I look sad and he's like, don't look sad. I'll be right back. Like, he's like, I'm just going to go get my radiation. It'll be, I'll be all fine. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Um, so I really try to do, I try to be really involved in like in that community. Um, so there's a charity bike ride every year that I've done since 2014. Last year I cheered while I was on crutches this year. I was going to use borrow a bike, but I got too scared to get back on the bike. So I just cheered, um, and helped volunteer a little bit during that event. Um, and there was also another charity bike ride I did in May. It was an indoor cycling and it helped raise money it was cycle for survival. So it helped raise money for rare cancers, um, which I'm very passionate about because when I worked at Stanford, um, I worked with the doctor that she took care of a lot of patients with very rare, like sarcomas and, um, rare tumors. And so, um, just raising awareness for that. 
Um, and then I also did a relay in Central Park in 2016. Um, it was supporting the, I had a look at the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund. So to help, you know, raise money for our heroes that are dealing with, you know, post-traumatic stress or other injuries. Um, in that event, I mean, that was amazing. And so I, it was kind of perfect timing because it was September of 2016 and I was gearing up for the world 50 K in Doha, um, which was going to be in November. So we would do, I took the longest lap. So just doing different, I think we did three laps in central park and raised money for this fund. And it was an overnight and people were outside cheering and donating money. And so, um, yeah, so I love supporting, um, yeah, my patients and then our heroes that have are also dealing with, you know, other illnesses and mental awareness as well. Awesome. Do you have a final message you want to leave for everybody before we roll out? Um, I've been trying to, you know, every day, because even today I got a little sad. I was like, because my leg was a little sore because again, as I said before, this coming back is not a linear process. And so I'm definitely gonna have ups and downs. But today I was a little sad because yeah, my leg was bothering me and I was running by myself and I just kind of like, uh, but then I heard this from Ryan Hall and it was, you know, try to find the true beauty in ever in your everyday. Um, and I just coming back from this injury, I was like, you know what, I am out here. I, even if I have to stop, I'm still, I'm out in the this beautiful area I live in. I have people that love me and, um, I'm just, I guess, just be curious. That's been kind of another tagline. My friend and I were talking about, just be curious on what you can do, whether it be professionally or athletically. And, um, it's exciting to see um, me personally, I'm just excited to see, what I can do. I'm excited for this France trip. Maybe next time we talk, I'll be a trail runner. I don't know. I mean, I want to go meet Sarah out in park city at some point. And, um, so yeah, so just stay curious and really just find the true beauty in every day and really enjoy the moment that you're in. And cause you just never know, you know, what can happen or so. I love it. What a great, uh, what a great message to land it on. And, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed our conversation. Um, your story, your running journey is like so inspiring and um, what you've done, what you've accomplished is uh, really incredible. But also, you know, trying to make your way back um, is just, you know, it just gets me in all those places because I know um, what it's like, what a gift running is. And I think the only people who can have that true, incredibly full love through and through are the people who've had it taken away from them. Um, people who've been healthy and been able to run and accomplish goals and all. It doesn't mean that they don't love the sport and they're not grateful or don't practice gratitude every day. I'm not saying that, but to have it truly taken away from you for a long period of time, like you've had, I've had and many other running friends who've been on the show. It's only there when we realize just what a, what a massive hole it leaves in us and the joy that it brings us. Um, and it's not just about qualifying for another fourth Olympic trials or another Boston or running a master's PR or any of that. It's just about how good it makes us feel and how it completes us as humans and just makes us better in every other aspect of our life. So I'm rooting for you. 
And I know everybody's going to be moved by your inspiring journey. So thanks so much for coming Thank on. Thank you so much. And sharing. Hope to see you in New York City. I'm overdue for a trip. Yeah, please come visit. I'll give you a tour of Central Park, even though it sounds like you don't need it. But I have all my <laughs> favorites. Central Park. My favorite spots are, uh, you know, I'll show you some of my favorite spots for sure. Look, look forward to it. I would it. love that. Yeah. And we say at the end of every episode to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. That was such a fun convo. So inspired by Claudia's amazing journey, um, the longevity, the drive, the passion for the sport, and the commitment, and her love of community, you know, just her career, you know, working in oncology, nursing, being around cancer patients, doing work within the community to fundraise, things like that, always strikes and resonates with me, and certainly with the uh, Run Chats audience as well, but Man, three Olympic trials marathons, the 50K World Championships. What an impressive resume. And I just know after being part of this convo how hard I'm rooting for Claudia and hope you all will give her a follow and become part of her journey. And let's root her on, man, to get her back out there because as we all know, we have to stay in the fight when things get tough. So anyway, my friends, uh, enjoy all the great... Uh, reviews that you put up, everyone who takes the time to do that, you continue to help us build out the Run Chats audience. We get more people listening to the show, sharing episodes, and all of that in turn helps me get great guests like Claudia to come on and share their inspiring stories. So thank you all so much for everyone that takes that extra step to help us build out what we're doing here. I wish you all luck in your training and racing. I hope to see many of you out there at uh, a marathon major soon, Chicago, New York, Tokyo, wherever else you're training, even if you're not training for marathons. I look forward to meeting you guys all out there on the road at some point. So keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. <laughs>